Good afternoon and welcome to Burn After Pitching, the comedy pitching podcast where we have on a panel of creatives and creators on to pitch their ideas on anything from new TV shows to ice cream flavors. Uh, we have a great panel. We've got a full house for this episode. We unfortunately are missing one of our regulars here. Sandra could not be on this episode, so we have replaced her, although she's irreplaceable, with three other guests. So joining us on this episode, first of all, we've got our regular Andy Nordville. Hello, everyone, especially those I got to recently meet at Rose City Comic Con. Hope you're having a wonderful October and have your costumes all picked out. All right. And also joining us again, we have Miss Betty Geek. Hi, everybody. I'm also recovering uh, from all the excitement of Rose City Comic Con. It was a blast. It's my first con in a while. My first time being on a panel or two, you know, that was exciting. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for uh, spooky season. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, it's it's uh, it's, it's spooky. Uh, and joining us for the first time, uh, we have my good friend, uh, David Preck. Hello, I'm David. Uh, I write comic books and I have a comic called Tethered and it's uh, Zombies and Existentialism. Tetheredcomic.com. Pretty good. Pretty fancy. And also joining us for the first time, we have another comic book creator, <laughs> Mr. Matt Anderson. Hello, everyone. Thank you guys for having me. Yes, I also write comics. It's very original, apparently, I guess. <laughs> I didn't know there was so many of us. Um, right now, um, I've got a project called The Mighty Peculiar coming out, which... Uh, Makes fun of conspiracy. So that's that's the main you. thing that's writing it with a former congressman and it's very interesting. Never done anything like that. That's pretty cool. That's we should have had you on our mystery, our like uh, cursed cryptid episode where we got oh, into I a know. lot of fun conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that congressman, former lizard person too. Oh, former or Wait, current. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, hold on, hold on. Former congressman currently and may also be controlling it. Probably. <laughs> Good to know. We, we should have, we should have had him on. So here's the thing. If my pitch sucks, I've got an out. It wasn't me. Nice. Escape with the lizard person for a change. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to thank you guys for being on. Uh, this is a pleasure, especially have uh, David and Matt on. Uh, David and I have officially, I think, known each other for four years because I think I just got the Facebook. Um, no, five years. The Facebook uh, memory of uh, us meeting at Rose City Comic Con all those years ago. Wild. And then Matt, we, this is our first time actually, because we. I've never spoken to you. We've never spoken to each other, but we often guest on the same other podcast called The Grind Bin. And uh, Burn After Pitching listeners will know Grind Bin because we've had everyone from The Grind Bin on. We've had Mike, the host. We've had Molly, his wife, who also guests, and Bobby, the co host, have uh, been on. Um, so it's a weird kind of uh, these podcasts get very incestuous. We all because you you know you invite who you know. So I, I'm glad it's to have not unlike on. comics, really. Like. Yeah, it's basically comics and podcasters. That's the only people I know at this point. So that's the makeup <laughs> of this show. But to jump in, we haven't done one of these actually. In well, I think we we haven't done one in an episode, but. Producer Tyler, who could not be here today because he is gearing up for his birthday, um, he had a surprise pitch that he wanted me to throw at you guys. Um, so if, if you guys don't know or, or listeners who don't know, sometimes we just we just hit our panelists with a brand new concept that they have to pitch on with very little to zero prep. Uh, so in honor of it being the spoopy season of Halloween, and nothing goes better with Halloween than... The Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Lucy, Peppermint Patty, the whole gang, famous. Big Ben. Big Pigpen. I thought you said Big Ben for a second. I was like, Big Ben? 
two of the lesser known characters. Um, He's my favorite uh, one. Yeah. Big Bang is from the British version of the Peanuts, Boiled Legumes. Also uh, an ironic name, very tiny. It's a oh, tiny, right. tiny, 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 tiny little boy. They're all tiny boys, uh, except for the tiny girl. So, Peanuts, <laughs> Halloween. So, Whoa. Tyler's surprise pitch. He really wants to pitch a new Peanuts product for Halloween. But the difficulty is it can't involve pumpkins because that's played out. So, panelists... Oh. Take a moment and think of the perfect Halloween product or product that can be themed Halloween with the peanuts involved for the Peanuts Gang. I'm going to give you guys just a few seconds <laughs> to think about this. Is this I'm, a, this is a, really is I'm ready when you guys are. Oh, Betty Geek is, is ready out the door. Does anyone else need some time or are you ready to jump in? I'm ready. I think I got one too. Yeah, I think I'm ready. Okay. All right. Well, Betty, since you were you were you voiced your, I have to give everyone else a little bit more time. You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. <laughs> All right, Betty, go for it. What is your okay. surprise pitch? Uh, my Halloween peanuts new like product. It's something that you can pass out or have at parties, right? Uh, or pass out like at the door for trick or treaters. Um, they're for everybody, and they are nut free peanuts. <laughs> like the peanuts because there's like you know such a nut allergy everywhere but yeah uh, i have no idea what they would be made out of they'd be made out of my hopes and dreams isn't much but could, could they be soy <laughs> <three> peanuts <laughs> and i'm trying to enunciate as best as best i can anyway that's what it's peanuts, peanuts. <laughs> all right okay peanut free peanut snacks with the peanut gang on the packaging i love yep. it i like it it's a good, it's a, it's a tasty snack. I am assuming that, that peanuts is a tasty snack. I got to ask though, if, if it's your hopes and dreams, are they sweet or have they soured? Oh, um, so Ooh. in a peanut, right. It, there's like two ends to it. Right. So, you know, a little bit of both. Oh, huh. maybe it's like a <laughs> it Twix crazy. thing, you know, like left bar, right bar is like, it's like sour you know, patch the, kids. oh Yeah. You could do a whole ad campaign just about like, do you want do you want the good hopes and dreams or do you want the nightmares and and despairs? <laughs> good luck, good luck, kids. And there, there there's no way to tell which one you're having. You just have to guess. Now with twenty cent per hour, I could have been somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Oof! All right, who would like to go next? Enjoy reality, kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I. I'll go. Uh, let's see. So this might be more fun for the person handing out the candy than the kids receiving it, uh, at least at first. So my thought is you get, you know, those um, fake rocks that people used to hide keys in, or maybe people mm -hmm. still do it. I don't, or maybe no one ever really did. It was a TV thing. I don't know. Um, I did yeah. it. It was a thing. Okay, cool. Because I, they're always were really easy to spot. I, I was never someone who broke into people's houses. But I always knew where the key. So that's a word of warning. Knowledge is power. Exactly. But you kind of so you could either recreate or repurpose those. And what you do is you put candy in it instead. And when kids come to the door, you give them a rock, and they get really disappointed, like Charlie Brown. But later, they'll find out that rock in it. Oh, uh, that's pretty great. Because when you I, when they're leaving your house, you play the sad Charlie Brown music. Yeah. From your porch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know what? How you often does the... this backfire, though? Because the kids are going to throw it through your window. Exactly. Well, you it's like a rubber back. rock, so it just. Bounces. Oh, there we go. And you get your candy back. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's. I was I was worried if you mix up your rocks and you give a kid a key to your house, that's awkward. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, really it's more than lesson. awkward, but okay. Yeah. It's kind of, that almost sounds criminal. Yeah. We're, we're definitely like, yeah, drifting into Jim Jordan territory here. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. David, <laughs> Andy, sure who's next? Well, uh, uh, I could go. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's pretty short. I mean, because I was thinking of doing a joke one, but then, you know, it's, it's peanuts. I think you need a Halloween pitch that's really sincere. And I don't, it's not cute, but it was something I would love. Like, I always love Snoopy as the Red Baron, and that would be, like, the perfect Halloween costume. Like, like from the from the chest up is just a little Snoopy thing. You are the Snoopy head, and then you're just carrying around a little doghouse. So you can go flying around like the Red Baron and, like, you know, pretend to shoot people and get shot down at parties. I, I'm always the worst at costumes, but I would love it if they would make a Red Baron Snoopy as Red Baron costume. Then I could finally have a Halloween costume that was really sincere. That's legitimately a good, good idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Maybe it already exists. I don't know. I've never looked for a Snoopy Red Baron costume, but I mean, it, it's sure like the logical. Red Baron costume at Party City, <laughs> but no. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure there's sexy Peanuts Gang costumes for all the characters, right? Oh, yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's yeah. That's weird. It's yeah. Peppermint yeah. Patty. You can't make Birkenstock sexy. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge you glasses. Those are, those are pretty hot. Yeah. Well, uh, Lucy, not Lucy. Who, who is uh, Pepper and Patty's? Pepper and Marge. Margie. Uh, Marge, yeah. Pepper and Patty's girlfriend. Was it Marge? No. Marcy. No. Marcy. 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 You remember the, is it Good Morning America when they did like the live action uh, Peanuts gang, like Charlie Brown thing? Oh, oh yeah. yes. I remember yeah. those. Oh, those were Charlie horrific Brown. costumes. <laughs> so terrifying. <laughs> I have not oh. seen that, though. I will be Googling. All right. Google uh, Al Roker, risk, Charlie Brown. It's like, oh. seriously, it's it's like a Garbage Pail Kid come to life. It is not It is not nice for oh, anyone. Man. All right, David. I hate when I randomly see it, like, on my feed or something. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it's that time of year. <laughs> that is truly horrific. Yeah. I'm so it's, sorry. It's the hair. That's that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, wow. It's just like a little squiggle on his forehead. Uh-huh. Definitely uh, doesn't look like anything else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so David, what is your Peanuts Halloween product? Uh, kite-eating tree. It's right there. Ah. It's, you know, it, you know, you always have these very elaborate uh, decorations, but this one would be, uh, you know, one of those where you, like, step near it, and it activates and eats whatever you have. Like, if you have a, your bag of candy, the tree just devours your bag of candy. Well, I, I believe in disappointment. Yeah. yeah. And you know, those, those Halloween kind of, it could be an inflatable. Those Halloween inflatables oh, are, yeah. are very popular. That way of like, you know, you don't have to store a candy eating tree all year. Just, you know, inflate <laughs> it. It's got a little animatronic in it to grab the candy. That'll work yeah. for any occasion, really. I'm, I'm advocating stealing candy from children. Well, what could be easier? Exactly. It's an adage somehow. <laughs> it's one of those universal truths. All right. I like so, it because what, what was that, Andy? Oh, I like it because more candy. More candy for someone who's investing in a candy eating tree pays for itself. Yeah, every year. You could just save the candy, and so you don't have to buy candy every year. It's the tree oh, yeah. steals the candy, and then you just give that candy out, and then it steals it back. You created an <laughs> ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Time is like, a flat circle, as is the candy <laughs> ecosystem. 
All right. I, so this is this was my idea. Um, it's like Andy's. It's it's in the costume realm. Is I really mm. like those um, voice changing helmets that you can get. Like you'll see them for like Transformers, or like you put on the, the Optimus Prime helmet and it changes your voice to sound like Optimus Prime. Um, but I thought one would be uh, good to change your voice into the adult voices from Peanuts. So you speak <laughs> and you just sound like wah 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 wah. Um, but we don't know what the adults look like so I don't know what the mask looks like so I imagine it's just like a horrific blank like the blank from Dick Tracy you need a costume that looks like giant legs wait do legs did adults ever appear do you see legs I think think sometimes as legs yeah I think only legs like the teacher walked by their desks a couple times Mm, okay all right fair enough fair enough Giant leg costume changes your voice to the adults from Peanuts. Boom. We have several great Halloween Peanuts product tie-ins that we can pitch to whoever owns the rights to Peanuts. I don't even know anymore. Is it is it Disney? Do they own everything? Do they own Peanuts? No. It either no, is Disney Apple. or it's going Apple. to be Disney. Yeah, well, it's on Apple. Like, Apple Plus is where we, so I don't know uh, what that makes. Is it Sony. still the, the Schultz family? Do they still have control? Yeah, it's Charles. Oh, wow. Good for him. Him and Jim Davis, good. the last of the iconoclasts. Well, Bill Watterson, who, who, like, what's the point of pitching him? He doesn't even do tie-ins. I know. He doesn't, like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do products, which, you know, oh, wait, I guess so he's the real iconoclast. Ford, none of those Calvin ones were authentic? Or he's peeing on Ford. They're all bootlegs. Oh, they're, they're Calvin with a K and an E. <laughs> And here, I just thought he was being super in. <laughs> that would be great if that was like the one thing he licensed. Because he was just was like a miserable fan. Like, I hate people. I just wish Calvin would pee on everyone. That's what, I, that's what I'm going <laughs> to let people do. Have Calvin pee on things. Car brands. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even care about that dumb tiger. It didn't exist. Oh, there you go. It was a figment. People don't get it. It was just a figment. And that's why he's mad at Ford. You're saying it's figment? Like the Disney character, figment? The Disney character who um, made a a comeback. Figment disappeared for like 20 years. And then they've suddenly started bringing him back in the last few years. Just like a figment would. Mm, Like part of your childhood that you thought was lost, but has come back to haunt you. Like a trolley. Or is it just a figment? There you go. There you go. All right. So now it is time. To move on to our main pitch. Now, the pitch for this episode is what if? Now, we gave the panelists, they could pitch something in the Marvel realm of what if, or anything in the what if. I don't know what people chose. Um, And I don't know how familiar before the Disney Plus animated series, what if, uh, how familiar any of our panelists were with the comic. Um, Were any of you guys fans of the comic back in the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I All right, own so one. You, wait, Betty. Okay, Betty. What one what if comic do you own? I haven't. I haven't read it yet because I was reading Orcs in Space. Oh, <laughs> true story. True plug story. away. Yeah, for sure. Right now from Money Press. Issues one and two. Thank you very much. An autographed copy. Thank you. Mm-hmm, um, very fancy. <laughs> but it is uh, what if Sergeant Fury fought World War Two space? Oh, sorry. Is that an old that one? one? Yeah, it's an old one. Yeah. Nice. Is it space Nazis? I don't know. I haven't. I, they look like aliens. Huh. I mean, I'm sure they're. Oh. I'm sure it's like Nazi aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst kind. Just kidding. They're all bad, but you know. So uh, I haven't read it yet. Um, I'll get back to you. <laughs> nice. All right. So David, you you emphatically said yes. We were a fan. Do you do you have a favorite or a particular uh, favorite what if issue? 
I don't. I just remember like like ripping through them very quickly and just being just utterly baffled by how they were printed sometimes. <laughs> a, a, a lot of times they were just like, what if Spider-Man had a blue costume? And you're like, what? Why is this a thing? Well, there was this interesting strain in What If. I would read a bunch. And like, there's the fun ones, but then most of them are like, yeah. there was a defensiveness to them. Like, you know, if we did the stories any different, the Marvel Universe would be destroyed or ruined, you know? Yeah, it's literally like the worst case scenario in every what yeah. if everything happened exactly as it as it should have. Um, yeah. Matt, what, what about you? Were you a fan of the old comic? Yeah, so uh, I I know I read a bunch of them. I always remembered um, the it was the what if the Punisher's family had not been killed, which to uh-huh. me shouldn't shouldn't have uh, should have been like one page because uh, <laughs> uh, that's not one of the like most what if stories. The good thing is it w- would say like oh. Here's another way to, here's another path to go. But I don't really think without dead family, Punisher doesn't really exist. So um, I always was fascinated by that one. Um, but I will kind of stretch it a little bit and say I was, I had a bigger fondness for the DC. So oh, Elseworlds. Elseworlds. Oh, Elseworlds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I and honestly, I part of me thinks that like the reason why is because they never tried to make it a mini series, specials, you know, yeah. mini series, one shots. Because um, that's the thing with the Marvel thing is, you know, you hit some of the big stories, but otherwise you're really getting down to some mundane little tweaks, you know, to to do <laughs> yeah. to do a monthly comic. It's like. Uh, what if, you know, sometimes you got like, what if Daredevil had killed Kingpin? Okay, that's a pretty big one. But then uh-huh. another one is, yeah, like, well, what if uh, Spider-Man never gave up the black suit? Like, well, okay, we kind of saw where that was going anyways. So uh-huh. I don't yeah. know why that neat thing. So, um, but I, yeah, I I always love the concept. I love, I love the idea of um, going back and revisit and taking a different path, but... Sometimes they just got a little... The wild thing is that the TV show is doing a better job of making, like, coming up with concepts that won't just be used by the comics. Because it's like, like, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? He did. Right. And and see, that's that's another thing, right? Like, and and it's probably something to be said for the age of the people that are writing Marvel in the last, say, 10, 10, 15 years, you know, were reading the what if series when it came out but i feel like so much of that stuff has gotten folded in uh-huh. you know i mean there i mean one of them was i i swear there was like a what if bucky lived and it's like okay yeah. well <laughs> yeah great what if gwen stacy had lived yeah, yeah. Same oh stuff. yeah mm-hmm. exactly you know and at a point you know you could almost trace some of the more modern stuff in the comics back to just like things that were like suggested back you know probably makes it kind of hard for them because i know they marvel recently or i say again in the last 10 years every now and then would put out like a what if mini series yeah they do sort of what they're often doing was after a big summer event happened there would be what if this this thing you just bought 20 issues to follow the full story what if it happened slightly different um yeah yeah they were doing that for a while I just was the what if it did not set up the next big multi-issue crossover yeah. event? <laughs> <laughs> what if a story ended? Yeah. I just saw if? one on this on this list that I actually would love to read. What if Dazzler had become a herald of Galactus? That's that is a good one. 
That's the dumbest uh, idea, but also the best. I don't know. Yeah, when yeah. it was like, I, I'm kind of torn because I would love like the big like doom and gloom. Like, uh-huh. what if the heroes lost Atlantis attacks? Where it literally ends with like the demon set like devouring every galaxy, and the last panel is Uatu, the Watcher, looking at you, the reader, and saying, "He's coming to your galaxy next." And that's the end of the issue, and it's like fabulous, Whoa. but. And, but I also did like like the wacky like yeah what if Dazzler was the Herald of Galactus or, or, or like how about a what if Professor X had become the Juggernaut like, that yeah, is a fantastic not? one hell yes <laughs> I don't Man. know if I've ever read that one like I but I it's just so it good because it's, it's uh because the Jim Lee cover on that one is just fantastic <laughs> it's probably the first Jim Lee cover that I ever bought um oh, wow. yeah so it's uh Kane Marco who in our in our galaxy became the juggernaut and professor x served in the korean war together in this story they're in the temple of citrak together and um kane mark was reaching for the the ruby red gem whatever but xavier's like no don't touch it and he ends up touching it and so like he gets buried and becomes a juggernaut and he forms the x-men and takes over the world but he's like an evil dictator because he's you know he's professor x Telepath and Unstoppable, and Magneto ends up becoming not the hero because he actually wants to take over anyway, but he's the leader of the resistance. Uh, it's a really uh, fantastic, oh. it's a fantastic that, one. It's great. That does sound like a very Professor X thing to do. Don't touch yeah. that thing. I want it. I'm going to touch it. <laughs> I'm going to touch it. Um, I, will I know touch what, it for you. <laughs> one of my favorites was a two parter, which was uh, what if Captain America had survived World War II or wasn't frozen during World mm. War II? Uh, and so it's everything's the same except he's he's not frozen. He's fished out of the water and um, he ends the war early uh, and is elected president. Uh, but this was, of <laughs> course, um, the Republican Senate had never installed uh, uh, term limits. So President Steve Rogers is president forever, essentially. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> He like kind of takes over and everything's kind of a utopia, but he like starts starts slightly working in like some shady stuff. Uh, and then at the end yeah, of the Steve issue, Rogers. it's revealed that it was actually the Red Skull impersonating Steve Rogers the entire time, uh, and Captain America yeah. was frozen. So it's a two parter where it's it's just uh, what if uh, Captain America was unfrozen in a world where uh, the Red Skull became president of the United States, and so he ends up forming. Uh, the Avengers with like Wolverine, who's actually the Wendigo. Um, <laughs> and, That's um, cool. And uh, yeah. Frank Castle was an agent of Shield, um, who become who became disillusioned with the uh, the government and family was killed because of it. And and he becomes the Iron Man. He becomes Iron Man, but also the Punisher. So he, his his uniform huh. looks like the classic horn headed. Uh, Iron Man costume mixed with War Machine, but with the Punisher skull. It's real badass. And then Bill Foster becomes Giant Man, and Namor, um, like Cap, finds Namor, and so they form the original Avengers to fight the evil imposter Captain America, um, Red Skull. It's it's one of my favorite Ultimate story where it was like Captain America became president. Maybe the Ultimates is a shit show of great stories. So maybe very (laughs) dark. I remember there was a Superman became president. It was uh, Armageddon yeah. 2001. They did a lot of what ifs. And it turned out great. Superman was a great president. <laughs> That's awesome. Darn right. Well, part of the it funny thing is whenever, whenever there was an economic crisis, he would just go out into the sea and Aquaman would help him find like a sunken ship full of gold from World War II. And he'd be like, all right, <laughs> economic crisis solved. We're back on the gold standard. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just read that one recently too, so it's funny that that comes up. Oh wow! The, oh wow! It, I was rereading through some a bunch of the Armageddon two thousand one annuals because yeah. you know time was, was precious. Uh, yeah, but but, that was weird because. I think they were going to make Captain Adam the bad guy, but then decided yep. Captain Adam was too popular. So they're like, Hank Hall. You know, it was spoiled. Yeah, it was, fans it was spoiled. guessed it. Yeah. That was, oh, and was? They, and they, they freaked out that uh, it was, you know, pre, I mean, obviously pre-internet. It was 1991. And uh, yeah, it was, so it was supposed to be Captain Adam is the big reveal. And there was some convention that happened and there was some kind of leak from DC about who, and so word got around. So they were worried that people were going to just not pick up the, the final issue. Um, yeah. And so, oh. they swapped it, so they swapped it out at last minute and it made less sense. And it basically just confused everyone and then ruined a couple, like, I mean, it kind of ruined Captain Adam for a long time because yeah, you know, people always kind of knew him as maybe should have been this villain, but wasn't. And, oh man, what a mess! Like that, I can't believe I, they should never like cave well, blood. <laughs> they it's always a dumb story. twist. Yeah, it's yeah. always a dumb twist. Of, instead of the guy you actually care about, it's this guy you don't care about at all. You know, right? Yeah, it it yeah. ended up being Dove or Hawk. Oh, it was right? Hawk. Hawk. Yeah, Hawk. yeah. Because Hawk. Dove got killed, it like further radicing and it was just this yeah. uh, but what's interesting is those annuals though they actually almost kind of served as what you know another kind of dc version of what if mm -hmm. you know because they were just yeah these, that was their what if so i remember they did the same thing for identity which one identity crisis crisis you thought it was going to be the atom which was really cool and then it turned out to be the atom's ex-wife which like who cares yeah right yeah mm. a lot of teeth in that story that was a story that you know did not does not it didn't go well to begin with but it really didn't age well like as you read yeah. it, you're just like it is so much cow. of its time yeah. of like, like still that grim dark weirdness yeah. but yeah, yeah we need to but take I, this so seriously yeah, like, yeah. this is very I mean, serious i really business. liked it until the end because it was like a cool whodunit you know but but yeah the problem with whodunits is it has to has a cool solution you know right it, well, yeah, instead of a crazed ex-wife stealing like tech to like, step on someone's yeah. brain. Although the footprints on the brain topic. thing, I did always think was yeah. pretty neat. Like, yeah. there's footprints on this brain. I'm like, all right, <laughs> only in comics. Comics, ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> but you know, it's it's interesting to see, because um, comics, obviously, we were talking about like what if and alternate stories for comics is you don't often see that in other media. Um, there are a few cases that I can think of, like TV shows who've done it, like Buffy uh, had the episode, uh, I think, The Wish, which was what if Buffy didn't come to Sunnydale um, and then explored like the repercussions of that, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if anyone else yeah. uh, was a Buffy fan who remembers yeah. that. That was the the birth of the vampire. Uh, oh yeah, Willow. Willow. Yeah, they also did it on Felicity, didn't they? Which was like that's the only time yeah, it was a non-genre. Didn't they do it for like a season or like half a season? Was the what if? I I saw much of it then, but yeah, I, I remember it was like nuts. Yeah, but yeah, I can't think of very many. Um examples outside of of comics that because comics yeah. is kind of unique in that way where there's such story output um, yeah. yeah that like you're gonna get there like a t tv show you have to like decide like all right are we going to dedicate an episode you know and several millions of dollars to this idea that doesn't ultimately matter it's just essentially a character yeah. piece <laughs> yeah well, plus you yeah. you have to explain it to some network exec who really doesn't care about your show so you know, if you have to, at some point, the alternate universe is like, I don't understand this. Can't, you know, can't somebody's brother show up? 
you know? Well, I was going to say, and I, I guarantee you the closest, you know, like they always say, like the closest TV equivalent to comics is soap operas. I guarantee with the amount of content that in, especially in their, like their heyday that those daily soaps had to oh, sure. turn out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I bet you the what if type. Thing. I mean, but also in other, it's, you know, it's a wonderful life. Was probably I was, yeah, I was about to say it. Yeah, that's where it, I think they probably all just came from. That's that's a great point. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. it's a wonderful life. That's being. the classic one, and you can do that one because if you say we're doing it's a wonderful life, enough people will understand that you you know you get approval. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to jump into some what if pitches? Sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Um. Uh. Andy, would you like to go first? Because you, you know, as our veteran. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, this was God. This is really tough because it's. Uh, I don't know. It's just. It's hard to think because you know. You. Um. Uh, it's. It's the classic what if thing of like how much does it change? But so, admittedly, a bit of a curveball. But I want to pitch. What if Zack Snyder took over the MCU? Ooh. And I think for his first movie, he would recreate Spider-Man One. Speaking of a what if, I think I think it came up. Spider-Man One was the one where. Spider-Man was offered to join the Fantastic Four and turned it down, but said yes in a what if. So anyways, it's Fantastic Four, Spider-Man 1. Of course, it's Zack, so it will be Spider-Man v. Fantastic Four, Dawn of snyder <laughs> Wow. Up on a Spider-Man who is haunted by the death of his father figure, Mr. Stark, and it is causing awful flashbacks of losing his Uncle Ben to gun violence. Meanwhile, the Fantastic Four appear on the scene, and though they seem nice, this newly obsessed, broody Spider-Man senses these new heroes have a secret, and he is haunted in tons of slow-motion black-and-white flashbacks until he knows he has to do something. He breaks into the Baxter Tower and discover the Fantastic Four do have a dark secret. Their child, Franklin, is an incredibly powerful mutant who can alter reality with his mind, and though just a child, Spider-Man decides that Franklin must die to prevent an even worse apocalypse than the one they just survived with Thanos. Well, of course, then Spider-Man goes through some incredibly intense training montages. He also hits, hits up Happy for some good Stark tech, specially designed in his new tricked-out spider suit, to give him the abilities to beat each member of the Fantastic Four. So, you know, he beats them all. The last one to go down is, of course, The Thing. He's kind of like Spider-Man. He's sort of this fellow street-level hero. So he, he does appeal to Spider-Man's sense of humanity. And we think he reaches Spider-Man, but it's just a ruse. He's gone too grimdark. He is about to kill and smash the thing when a webbed-up Franklin screams, Uncle Ben! Uncle Ben! I think you know where this is going. <laughs> right before he kills the thing, Spider-Man stops and screams, Why did you say Uncle Ben? Why did oh, you God. say Uncle Ben? So this causes Spider-Man to snap out of it and come to his senses. And they team up and learn that Dr. Doom, who in this movie is like this weird Martin Shkreli-type tech bro, has been manipulating them all. So they beat the weird tech bro Dr. Doom, and all seems good. But of course, we have the after credit sequence, Galacticus Hungers, and he sends out Silver Surfer in the direction of Earth. Spider-Man v. Fantastic Four. Dawn of Snyderverse. <laughs> Wow, the build up to the punchline. That yeah. was pretty, pretty damn good. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking a lot about Norman Donald. Rest in peace. He was a guy who could build up to a punchline. So Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, I caught your uh slow mo flashbacks. That was good too. Yeah. <laughs> They're so haunting. I can also see Zack Snyder being like on a press junket or something and slip up and call it like Snyder Man instead of Spider Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so what previously up-tempo song, now played down-tempo and brooding, would be on the trailer for this? 
Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Is there one with five? I don't think so. Um, wait. What's the What's the Schoolhouse Rock for five? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. Now that doesn't work. Um, what's the one for four? Four legged zoo. That doesn't work. Maybe it's three is a magic number. I don't know why, but like it's three, four, five. But three is a magic number. That was that was one of my favorite schoolhouse rocks. And now it's you know now it's all sad and dirge like. Blind Melon did a sad down tempo version of that for the schoolhouse rocks rocks uh, oh, album right. back that in the nineties. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry, the slow down version of like something like Happy Together, like where because yeah. it's like you know the the Fantastic Four, they're the family team, and you know you do yeah. you play on that. And, yeah. As soon as you asked that question, all I could think about was Uptown. I, it doesn't fit, <laughs> but it would be wonderful. That would be good. I went to uh, um, Barrel's Happy. Because there's got to be, someone's had to have done oh, yeah. a down-tempo sad one for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be very ironic, but, you know, because I... <laughs> uh, maybe if Happy Hogan ever gets his own spin-off movie or Disney Plus series, that'll be the theme song. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would love a Happy Hogan spin-off series. Because I'm happy. Yeah. Okay, who would like to follow up on the Snyder MCU? I'll go. All right, <laughs> Betty. Um, so I forgot to ask for a clarification on this one. If I was just like, okay, let's think about what I've watched. I haven't read the comics, obviously, as I previously disclosed, but I have seen all of the shows and of course, Loki just came out and we really explore Loki and his deal and Thor and Loki are so popular anyway. I figured why not, um, do this what if situation. So, as Michael and I discussed a couple weeks ago at Rose City Comic Con, Odin is a piece of trash. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, this would be, what if Thor was captured by the Frost Giants instead of the other way around? Like, Loki being taken to Asgard as a kid. So, um, Odin stole the casket of ancient winter winters still from the Frost Giants in Oda- Jotunheim, but um, they... The Frost Giants attempted to try to get it back, so they go to Asgard, and they did not succeed, but they did succeed in taking baby Thor, and they raised baby Thor uh, to look, oh, they they used their Frost Giant powers, the little they had left, to make him look like a Frost Giant, um, and uh, uh, Thor became the king of Jotunheim, um, still surpassing Loki. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> is, is Loki and Jotunheim or Asgard here? No, no, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that. So, no, he does still grow up alongside Loki, but now they're in Loki's turf. And mm-hmm. Thor is the adopted one. Um, so <laughs> Thor still it becomes uh, the leader uh, that Loki, I guess, should have been. But Loki's not bitter or upset by it or feeling like he's having an identity crisis. Like, Thor is just still thriving. And Loki becomes kind of like comic version of Bucky where he's like, yeah, go Thor. I you're the best, Thor. I want to be just like you. And, you know, obsessed with him and everything like that. Uh, so uh, Thor still becomes like the smash and grab type uh, warrior. And uh, he learns of his true home. Um, and he's learned also from like the Frost Giant's point of view, like who Odin is and what he's done and how awful he is. And Thor is like, wow, I'm disgusted that that's actually my father, but I don't have any emotional ties to him, so I'm not going to try to defend him at all. I'm just going to go and, like, give him what he deserves, essentially. And so they they devise a plan to go and get the casket back. Um, 
And yeah, he doesn't have Mjolnir, but he does have something called the ice pick. And it is like this large like <laughs> ice pick thing. <laughs> it's made out of like, I don't know, ancient ice. Ice. Ancient why ice. Why not? <laughs> exactly. It's some mystical <laughs> like frozen thing that, yeah, I don't know, some cosmic ice <laughs> or something. <laughs> so. So he goes. Uh, he goes to Asgard with with his uh, frost giant homies, and they they raid the place. And he goes like full rage on Odin, and uh, he gets to the casket and smashes it open with his ice pick, sending Asgard into an eternal winter. And uh, Odin can't hurt anybody anymore because he is frozen, never to return. I love it. That works. Thanks. That nice. works really well because, especially the change in Loki. Because okay, so first of all, frost giants, as established in the MCU, are just kind of tall. Uh, they're literally like <laughs> eight feet tall, I think. Um, right. Yeah. And not really great at anything because um, they're they're pretty much cannon fodder. Uh, so Loki right. raised in that. We know Loki learned magic from his Asgard mother. So Loki doesn't even have magic. Mm-hmm. So him being like plucky sidekick who doesn't really have any exactly. ability on his own works perfectly. But Thor yes, being yeah. Asgardian and presumably empowered with some kind of uh, little um, frost giant magic, since that's probably why he's made the air, is he kind of comes to the party already in- enhanced compared to uh, right. all the other Frosties. I'm just going to call them Frosties from now on. <laughs> yeah, um, he's, he's a natural yeah. born leader. Like, yeah, in, and so it makes season. it makes sense that, it, like, yes, my adopted son, and Loki has nothing going on, so he's plucky sidekick. And that works. Like, the Loki <laughs> standing up against the colonial oppressor in the Asgardians in Odin. Now, yeah. is Hela still around, or is she off the board Oh, like, she uh, would like be. She would still be there because she's before Luke, uh, before Thor. So she's okay. still there. Yeah. Um, but we'll just say for this case, like nothing happens because, like, she's still like. Well, I guess I guess she still would have been like present and not like buried in the ground at that time. I love Hela also, by the way. So this whole oh, thing, yeah. is so, it's so dark and twisted. But um, and and MCU version, of course, because I know it's different in the comics. But um, yeah, I mean, you know what? Yeah, we'll throw her in because she's cool and she's cool costume and i love the actress but um yeah so she she would be there as like you know but she she gets frozen oh cool I mean, I like the it. whole thing it's like it's like asgard um it's like ragnarok but it's like um eisnarok frostnarok there we go i mean i like it yeah. too because loki always had this inferiority complex all he needed to do was be the the how should i put it the natural born child and he's great. And he's, in fact, the one who's, like, supporting Thor and make sure that Thor feels included. And it's like, no, you're you're just as much a frost giant as the rest of us, you know? And yeah. that's all it took to turn Loki nice, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> Be adopted. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Frostnarok. Okay. Frostnarok. Uh, <laughs> David, Matt, hey. who would like to go next? Uh, I'll, I'll give it a try. All right. Uh, so, I... I... I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but then it became a fun idea. Uh, what if George Lucas was able to purchase the rights to make a John Carter from Mars movie instead of Flash Gordon or Star Wars? Oh, okay. Oh, no. oh okay. Yeah, because like I, I recently been like was reminded that he was trying to purchase the rights to Flash Gordon and failed, and then he was like, "Fine, I'll just do a Star Wars." <laughs> Which is such a weird like. How do you get from point A to point B there? But um. 
I'm kind of imagining it as like a instead of having it be the Civil War, it's more about like coming back from Vietnam. So like John Carter comes back from Vietnam. Uh, he's prospecting, dies in a cave. He's transported to Mars. Uh, but it's kind of like the in, in the same way that like the Wizard of Oz has that transformation of like black black and white to like the technical or weirdness of Mars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, you know, of course, joins forces with the Green Martians. Uh, I never know how to pronounce her, his eventual wife's name. Deja Taurus? Thoris? Does anyone yeah. know? De- yeah. Deja Thoris? That's I the just one. know Barsoon. You could just be like, yeah. me and call her Delia Thorne because I misread it for a long time. I love it. <laughs> and now that's all I call her. So I'm going to name her Khadija. I think that's probably a little better. Anyway. Uh, then, so instead of like the Native American and Black American uh, conflicts, it's you know the Vietnamese, uh, and then at the end, you know, after all of this craziness, uh, Agent Orange is spreading throughout the planet, and he dies while trying to save the planet, and then returns to Earth. Because like, oh, okay, there's a lot of that weird stuff in Star Wars where he, he's he's trying to do well. It's weird to do things about family. Uh, it's it's like a lot of this the the Force mm. stuff was at, at the time it was kind of of a of a of a time but the all the John Carter concepts were all about like life and death and those kinds of interesting cycles and i just mm-hmm. imagine George Lucas doing something really fun with that yeah like at that time we've seen like the 70s there was that kind of new agey kind of mindset yeah um so that would yep. probably work its way in and kind of be an influence um transcendental like, meditation yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. so I, I always like to. Think to... That... Oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh no, I was gonna say I because when when you brought up like it would be about the Vietnam War is I always think back to the fact that you know John Milius, the screenwriter for Apocalypse Now's first mm. choice for directing Apocalypse Now was George Lucas. Oh, I didn't and know it, that. Yeah, it's crazy. And then Lucas like had a vision for how he was gonna do it, and Milius was like, "No, we're just gonna go there and film it." And Lucas like, "Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna go make this uh, <laughs> this uh, movie about American graffiti." Uh, so good luck. Um, but yeah, so I love the idea of John Milius, the one uh, co-writing it with Lucas, <laughs> and you get uh-huh. that John Carter, like John Carter Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Uh, okay, so whenever we do anything in like period, I always like to say like, "All right, who do you think would be cast in a uh, John Carter uh, of Mars um, made in you know 1977?" Oh. Would oh, you see man. him want to cast a lot of the, his Star Wars people or reuse Ford because he liked him in I mean, American Graffiti? Ford. I ass- yeah, I, I assume that it would be Harrison Ford as John Carter, and Fair. yeah, yeah, I would assume it'd be basically the same cast, yeah. Wait, because who else is there? Is there any other, like, does Mark Hamill get anything or no? Nah. Nah. Sir Alec Dennis as uh, Tars Tarkas does the voice of Tars mm-hmm. Tarkas. And hates it. And I mean, Terry Fisher could bring a lot of gravitas to that that warrior queen, warrior mm-hmm. princess kind of thing. But could you fit in Marlon Brando from, <laughs> from Apocalypse Now? That's the thing. We bring Wait, that part. Well, this in. is the 70s. It was hard to fit Marlon Brando into anything. <laughs> I don't know. I would love Pam Greer as a warrior prince. She is my go-to. But oh, I realized yeah. she didn't really have a renaissance until the 80s, so that probably wouldn't happen. But also, yeah. but 77 Pam Greer is peak Pam Greer. Mm-hmm. But she's also, she's firmly in drive-in and exploitation yeah, uh, films. Yeah. So it'd be like if uh, if <laughs> if the budget was less, 
Um, yeah. he could like John Saxon is John Carter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. I mean, I would assume he'd play the bad guy anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They'd have to like pulp the hell out of this. Yeah. That'd be nuts. I love it. Okay. All right, Matt. All right. So since uh, since I already said my preference was Elseworlds, I'm gonna bring some DC to this. I'm gonna pitch it as a comic, um, and oh. it's going to be an Elseworlds in which um, the rocket that brought Superman to Earth crash lands in Crime Alley and kills the Waynes. Except, and Bruce is still alive. So much like so, the rocket kills Thomas and Martha. And Bruce, as a young child, gets just enough of a, of a glimpse. He sees there's a baby in it, but that's it. He's whisked away by, you know, to safety. And <laughs> as Bruce is growing up, he is obsessed with trying to figure out where this rocket came from. And, like, who sent it? Who killed his parents? Because there's no way this was accidental. And he's becoming a little more conspiracy theorist, like aliens <laughs> and just... And, you know, he's got all these resources from his family fortune. Um, and all of it is kind of gearing towards weird, like space defense or anti-alien technology um okay and he's got his butler alfred who's you know being alfred the way that you think of him the guiding hand gentle um is trying to steer bruce in the right direction but it's not quite working um and as bruce gets to be older, you know, he's actually kind of run afoul of Lex Luthor, who is kind of on a similar track. Like, he, he's, he's, and they almost kind of, these two titans of industry are almost in a competition of who can be the most, like, virulently anti-extraterrestrial and who can defend Earth the best with their wealth and resources. And this whole time, Bruce has been trying to, again, figure out where this rocket came from. Um, little does he know Krypton is blown up and hence he will never actually get revenge or that event that shaped his entire life was completely a freak act. There was no intention behind it. It was not, it was wrong place, wrong time. Um, and by the end of this story or throughout um, as the, I guess, anti-extraterrestrial fervor um, grows to its peak, the now-grown Superman does have to reveal himself, having chosen to kind of stay more hidden, um, laying low, but still doing good things in the way that we've kind of seen that portrayed in comics and movies before. Mm -hmm. um, he n he has put together the pieces that it was his rocket that killed the family. So the, the idea of revealing himself to the world and trying to become that inspirational figure um becomes huge for him um and then uh i i like to think so i can almost what if my own ending i'd I, I like the idea of bruce wayne going just full-on like alex jones like microwaves are turning frogs gay and superman is like stealing everything from me like i kind of like that but i also like to think that there is that batman like the good side of him and that they would you know eventually team up and take down Luthor, and then the world would become accepting of extraterrestrials because, and the reason why I think the story would actually go that way is because there's one last reveal in which uh, we come back to Alfred and we see that he is really John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, all along. So he's, Bruce has really been raised by an extraterrestrial. Ah! Uh. 
What a twist. Ah. Yes. Um, but I will say, so I quickly, as I was thinking about this, it kind of started as a dumb, uh, much like probably every what if, which was like, just like, what if the, you know, because in my head, I just had this image just walking, you know, walking down Crime Alley, and then the rocket falling on him like a, a safe in a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started thinking, I'm like, well, that's totally done, right? And and so I was like, looking back at Elm stuff, and I was like, well, there's been like, what if Bruce had Superman's powers, or what if the Wayne raised Clark, you know, there have been variations on it. Yeah, but, I read that elsewhere. That was, a, that was The a speeding one. bullet. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. but the really cool costume is actually like, yeah. Um, but I liked the idea of that. One of the things they always say about Batman is why he can either never know who the person who killed his fa- his parents was, or if they do go the Joe Chill route, then something has to happen to Joe Chill. In you know, independent of him, is that Batman can never get the closure that he needs. And I love the idea of this like kid. This wealthy kid growing up and becoming increasingly like a conspiracy theorist, thinking that there's this thing out there that he can defeat and then getting to that moment where it's like, oh, that planet was destroyed. Like, I'm literally what's left. <laughs> like, you can't, you, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing there for you to like, it wasn't intentional. It was not, it, um, no one is out to get you crazy conspiracy theorist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I like, I love the idea of playing with that. And I also love, um, the comics, I don't think, ever really do enough to, like, highlight the cool rivalry that there could be between, like, uh, LexCorp, Luther's company, and Wayne Industries, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I love the idea of almost, like, a weird, like, Atomic Age space race between them because they're actually going for the same goal. Like, they're not at odds, so they're really just trying to one-up each other and, like, outsmarm. I mean, we're, we're seeing that right now in real time with with space. Well, right. With, yeah. exactly. with Musk and uh, Bezos. Yeah, exactly. You know, because usually they always kind of would put it like, oh, Bruce would kind of, like, outmaneuver Lex in, like, a good way and use the resources. and Which is fine. I get it. But, like, I, I, would, I would really like the idea of them being equals and have the same purpose for a while. Um, and I also would like the idea of could, would Superman still be Superman? You could really follow that path too. I mean, he, yeah. in this case, he's not raised by the, by the Kents or he could be, you know, adopted or found later, whatever. But knowing that his origin created not like a big, huge problem. Like I think in the Flashpoint storyline, they had his, like his rocket hit Metropolis and go off like a bomb. That's excess, in my opinion. But even just, like, knowing that, like, these two people killed, I could see that being an interesting thing for the character to kind of have to come to some terms with. Um, so, anyways, started as a safe falling on two people's uh, heads <laughs> as a joke and turned into this story that I really want to see. <laughs> Hashtag DC call me. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great pitch. Thank you. Does it have a title? Ooh, you know, I suck at titles. Um. Two safes, two superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't work. The Bruce Wayne factor. Yeah, see, that, you know what? Well, I was going to say, like, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I'm making him like Alex Jones, that would be like Wayne Wars or something. Or like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, info, the Info Wayne. Agent. Wayne News. Yeah. <laughs> info Warzone. See, there you go. I mean, I go say, direct to the point. One rock. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, two heroes, one rocket. (laughs) 
<laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. Oh, so timely. I I that on YouTube. <laughs> you know, just Google that. Safe search off. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and on that uh-huh. note, uh, <laughs> I want to thank our guests for being on this great What If episode. Those were some fantastic pitches. I very much enjoyed everyone's pitches. Um, uh, let's see. I got to get out my outro notes here. Uh, <clears throat> um, guess why don't you uh, tell our audience where they can find you and anything you want them to know about yourself let's kind of go in reverse order from what we did so matt why don't you go first okay um mainly right now you can just find me uh at on twitter at matt begin um i've got information about the comics that i'm working on um and some of my past projects otherwise um uh, you could I wrote a bunch of Kung Fu Panda, Shrek, and a bunch of all ages stuff. You can you can find that those at any comic book store. Amazon, I think, has them. Your local library, Tanner. Actually, I saw that my local, uh, the town next to me, had um, uh, graphic novels on display, and uh, the Junior Braves of the Apocalypse Volume Two was Ooh on, la there, la. on the end cap. Nice. And coincidentally, a Kung Fu Panda I wrote like 10 years ago was um, accidentally put, like it was shoved behind something else. So I wasn't on the <laughs> display with you, but someone <laughs> left. You were there in spirit. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I was, I felt like I was backing you all day. Nice. Oh. But yes. Yeah, so um, you can find me on Twitter and um, you can search the name Matt Anderson anywhere. I, I probably wrote some of the stuff that comes up, some of it not so much. <laughs> if you like it, just it was me don't worry okay i i have a terrible weakness for puns so i have to ask it didn't even occur to you to try at Matman begins oh i you know what like i i have to say because when you have a really boring name like matt anderson everything is taken and i was yeah. trying to start like i had to like open a new gmail account and i typed in like every variation like my birthday like everything i could think of is like name taken name taken and then you know how they'll like suggest um like things based on what you've done one of them was matt begins again and i think it was the i think it was the google algorithm like it was annoyed with me So I took it. Because usually it's just like, you sure you don't want some random numbers with your name? Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it stood out, too, because it was the only one that had, like, no, like, period, da, nothing. Matt begins again. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So that's my the algorithm email. was done with you. It was, it, I think it was sick of me. And so then I just carried it over. So everyone thinks it's a Batman Begins thing, but it's really just I, anno- I annoyed Google <laughs> to the point that it <laughs> decided to give me something else. All right. David. Hi, David Precht at Twitter.com. Or wait, the other way around? Uh, P-R-E-C-H-T is where you can find me there. Uh, Tetheredcomic.com. Uh, it's, it's funny, Mike and I were talking about how it would be great to make, you know, to announce one of the many books that are existing in theory. But, you know, you can't really do that. So go read a zombie uh, existentialism book. Why not? Perfect. Betty. I'm Betty Geek on a lot of platforms on the internet. <laughs> um, mostly right now, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me also on the Grand Geek Gathering Network, where I get to do fun stuff like this. Thank you again for having me on. Uh, this is my favorite podcast. And my other favorite oh. podcast, which is Anyway with Sam and Tyler, which I'm also on. So thank you again, guys. <laughs> Appreciate it. So humble. Thank you. And thank you for being on. Uh, all right, Andy. Uh, hello. Uh, I do, well... God, mostly this podcast these days, but also 
uh, some comics, web comics, a few books, and everything is findable at andynordval.com. Perfect. And I'm Michael Tanner. Uh, you can find me at my website, buymichaeltanner.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MikeIsErnie. At Twitter, you know how Twitter works. Uh, also, uh, I'll plug out Orcs in Space is my current ongoing series from Oni Press, available in stores now. Uh, I also do a voice on a narrative podcast uh, based on the video game Fallout 76 called Far From Home. Check out that podcast if you like narrative podcasts. And this has been Burn After Pitching from the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Thank you again to our guests. If you have a pitch for us for this episode or any episode, please tweet at us using the hashtag BurningPitch. And while you're on the Twitters, also follow us at BurnPitching and follow our mother network, The Grand Geek Gathering, at The Grand Geek G. Also check out the website, TheGrandGeekGathering.com, where you can find articles, reviews, and links to other great podcasts and content. Our theme music was done by Carlisle Laurent. And, it, and I know you have a lot of competition for your ears these days, so thank you for listening. I uh, hope you have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next month. And don't forget to GGG. GGG. Hey there, Burn After Pitching listeners. Guess what? I got Sandra on to record a What If pitch. So, Sandra, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I am so excited to share my pitches. Excellent. Well, let's go right into it. Sandra, give us your What If pitch, your first one. My first one. Okay, so this one is, um, I just kind of briefly explored it. I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright, and I'm a big fan of dark comedy. Um, and I know that this was supposed to happen, um, with a different director in mind, but it never ended up panning out. And that is a reboot of Tales from the Crypt. So oh, what, okay. what if Edgar Wright, um, developed, uh, or even just from the start of it, from the start of Tales from the Crypt, that he was the director, just were in this alternate reality where, you know, they coincide his, um, directorial career and, the launch of the original Tales from the Crypt. Um, and so I started thinking about like different episodes and everything. And then I thought, wait a minute, I think this would be better if it were kind of like that show that was that, or whatever you called it, that was on Quibi. Um, oh, like the 50 the, States of Fear? Yes, kind of like that. So it's a, it's a Tales from the Crypt reboot and it has different directors for every single episode. So you're going to have slightly different takes but the whole thing will center around kind of this dark comedy satire. Um, you've got horror in there. And um, I, I just love kind of mixing genres like that because I feel like if something is just a romance, like life isn't like that. But when we've got like horror, but comedy, like those two um, juxtaposed together, I think is kind of what life looks like you know it's it's funny in the midst of something scary so anyway that whole genre i would love to see rebooted but every week there is a different director it's i already have not episode ideas in mind but i have directors in mind i would love to see okay. it right of course i'd love to see jordan peele we know he did twilight zone from what i was able to see for free it was really good i enjoyed <laughs> it um i'd love to see chloe Zhao. The one who directed oh, okay. Nomadland and she's directing yep. Eternals. The thing that I loved about Nomadland is that it was, uh, it had these two underlying emotions, at least for me. It was like 
a place where you kind of feel sad for the person, but also there's such like raw humanity that you get to see in the, the interactions there. Um, so I think that would be pretty cool to have her direct an episode. Um, Tarantino. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it'd be cool to have him. And of course his uh, early sidekick, Robert Rodriguez, um, Ava DuVernay, the Coen brothers. And for kicks and giggles, um, although I think she'd do a fantastic job, Regina King. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would just love to see a reboot with a bunch of different directors who I think can, uh, they have their finger on the pulse of, of something within the genre of like satire or horror thriller. Man, that that sounds like something that Apple TV would throw money at. Right? To get, yeah. Because <laughs> absolutely, like, Edgar Wright, for sure. I freaking he, love him and, so much. <laughs> He would have he would have directed Tales from the Crypt episodes back in the day if like oh, yeah. he if he was you know directing not, and not like a ten year old as he probably actually was. It, that that makes me think of another person then Neil Gaiman he'd be another oh person. yeah 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 like that really because they keep talking about bringing Tales from the Crypt back um, yeah M Night was supposed to do it but he doesn't have the satire that these other directors no do. no yeah and and Tales from the Crypt was always like. <laughs> like full of kind fun. of funny yeah oh totally it, it was like gory and uh, yeah i would i would hesitate hesitate to call it ever scary though in a real way like it, it was, was horror. for some people yeah like yeah, I oh yeah remember it, like which... horror shot as if it were a comedy because a lot of like yes. a lot of the directors they did get were like ones who could do both like joe dante i'm pretty sure right. did multiple tales from the crypt and he did horror and comedy all the time uh-huh um, you know, it, it was scary. I'm not a good measure when people say, is it scary? I'm like, you don't want to ask me because I grew up like when other kids went to Sunday school, I watched horror films like all weekend. <laughs> um, and they were all like things from the eighties and, and early nineties. But you know, so that was the genre where it, it had like Freddy Krueger was huge for me. So anything that was horror, but also funny, goofy, mm-hmm. um, so like, comically gory because there are things like saw which are disturbingly gory um but this was comically gory and i, I think i it, always I go think to was... the joe pesci episode where he plays a con man seducing twins and he uh, pretends to be a twin but always mm-hmm. like you never see the brothers in the same place because they're oh one's a traveling salesman like oh they're like they just happen to miss each other and then somehow the twins discover like like through a tan, I think like Joe Pesci's character is tanning and something happens, like give him a tan line. And then when he switches to be the other brother, that brother, quote unquote, has that same tan line. And that's how the twins mm. figure it out. And the end of the episode is the twins decide to share him by literally sawing him in half and mm. they each keep a half. So it's incredibly gory because you see like Joe Pesci cut in half, but it's a, <laughs> it's a, gag ending with the twins being like oh we're so happy we get like we each get we each get you but it's like one bloody gross half of joe pesci like so it's like gory and like oh that's disturbing but also it's it's a comedy it's (laughs) It's, it's also funny i mean the listeners need to know horizontally or vertically cut oh uh straight up the middle vertically (laughs) you're like the one that goes up (laughs) yeah i'm like how what's the best to describe that for a human like you know mermaid style (laughs) oh gosh so yeah that's that's my first my my pitch light where it's once once i started there one of the directors launched me into a whole other 
pitch that cracked me up. Hopefully, I don't oversell it, but I thought it was funny. All right. So, listeners, as you know, I did not do a pitch during the main episode. So, I'm going to take this opportunity to do my pitch because it's kind of a short one. And then Sandra will get to do her funny one. Okay. So, (laughs) I decided to do a what if Marvel pitch. Um, So, I decided when I thought about it, um, I would like to see what if Iron Man recruited Sean Chi instead of Spider Man for Civil War? Oh. Because you've seen Sean Chi, I assume? I have, have not, not. I've been dancing oh. too much. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this is actually no real spoilers, I'd say, because um, Shang-Chi is 25-ish in his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we go back the kind of like 10 years to Civil War, he'd be a teenager, about yeah. the same age that when yeah. Iron Man recruited Peter Parker. Um, so my what if is uh, Tony Stark having researched the Ten Rings, you know, the terrorist group that kidnapped mm-hmm. him and led him to become Spider-Man, or <laughs> led him to become Iron Man. <laughs> In researching that, he discovers that the the actual real leader of the Ten Rings has a son who is living incognito in San Francisco. And Tony in the MC movies is West Coast based, not East Coast East Coast base. So a trip to San Francisco to check in on this guy who, or this kid <laughs> who might be um, a uh, perhaps supernaturally gifted fighter um, or have some sort of uh, skills who might be uh, handy in his upcoming battle against his old friend, Captain America. He recruits uh, Shang-Chi to um, his side. Uh, and so during the, the Munich airport battle, uh, otherwise, when Spider-Man shows up, we get this, you know, 15-year-old martial arts master now equipped with, like, an awesome exosuit um, who fits a little bit more because uh, most of Cap's side are street-level guys. Um, so you can get a lot of cool one-on-one fights between, you know, Falcon hand-to-hand and uh, Hawkeye hand-to-hand with Shang-Chi. Yeah. Um, and then that ch- – and so Peter – uh, is still Spider-Man wearing a sweatsuit um, and funny goggles in New York, just being his friendly neighborhood Spider-Man vigilante. Um, and now Cap, who's afraid that Tony's going to start recruiting more young people uh, with exceptional gifts to uh, fight in his weird government-sponsored superhero war, Captain America ends up reaching monster. out to Peter Parker. Um, and so we get Peter mm-hmm. and Cap end up having the father-son relationship instead of Tony oh, and Peter. Um, interesting. And so we get like a very kind of different, uh, and Cap being not Iron Man is probably a bit more respectful of Peter's childhood um, and mm-hmm. is more of a mentor figure and doesn't outfit him with a, you know, super suit that can, has that has a kill mode. Um, right. So Peter is able to kind of maintain his, not innocence, but kind of is more youthful. He's less weighed down by the responsibilities that occurred in the movies because of his relationship with Tony and, you know, uh, the having to deal with the armors and like eventually. And then when, you know, Tony dies and that whole thing. So Peter's entire trajectory is very different. Um, yeah. And then, so Shang-Chi is now kind of uh, has that kind of bond because this, I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler for his movie is that he does not have a good relationship with his father. So Tony now becomes his kind of oh. surrogate father um, yeah. where they become a lot more active in like taking down the 10 rings and um, just being a lot more active. And as is implied in the end of homecoming with uh, t- Iron Man 
wanting to announce Spider-Man as having joined his Avengers, that implied that there was an Avengers team that existed after Civil War um, and before, you know, um, Infinity War, which is kind of a weird thing. It was like, who was on that team? Because literally it was only Vision and Iron Man because uh, a war machine had been injured in Civil War mm-hmm. uh, and Black Widow went and joined Cap. So... I was like, who was on that team? So we actually do yeah. get uh, something of an Avengers team with Iron Man, Shang-Chi, Vision. And then an, I thought it'd be fun for them to introduce another kind of uh, uh, s- another hero. I hadn't figured out who yet, but that there would actually be an a s- entirely separate active Avengers team uh, doing superhero stuff. Squirrel while- Girl? Who's that? Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Uh, like, <laughs> this. That's funny you should mention that because this entirely started from I saw a web post that someone was pitching, not, they weren't pitching ideas. They were just like, like kind of offhandedly saying like, Oh, what if they did an episode where like, what if Iron Man recruited Squirrel Girl instead of Spider-Man? And I was like, that's a funny idea, but also yeah. a serious idea would be, would yeah. be Sh- Shang-Chi. So that's my, what if pitch is what if Iron Man recruited Shang-Chi instead of Spider-Man for civil war? Nice. I'd like and to see it. I kind of, I I would bet money. I'm not a betting man, but I would bet money that if What If does a season two, we'll see that episode. Really? I I think so because I I think that idea of like what if in that like that general premise like obviously this other person on the internet thought it'd be interesting to see Iron Man recruiting someone else other than Spider Man. I think it would make the most sense for it to be like for it to be Shang Chi because he's really the only new hero kind of introduced he's the only new hero introduced who it could make sense for based Mm -hmm. on the timeline um yeah i guess you could well i guess wasp i don't know did they ever explain why wasp wasn't involved in civil war yeah so that that could also be like what if iron man recruited wasp so you then you could have wasp fighting ant-man in um in civil war (laughs) which would change like their dynamic and their trajectory as characters Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, sure. that's my pitch, Sandra. Let's hear your let's hear this one you're you're jazzed about. All right. So if you know me for any length of time, you know that well, I try not to hate. Um and so I don't hate, <laughs> but um but I have a, a strong distaste for ninety nine percent of Adam Sandler's films. Fair. So I'm not a fan of Adam Sandler. But I thought, wouldn't it be a total can we cuss on the show? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be a total clusterfuck if Adam Sandler replaced one character in a Tarantino film? <laughs> and I love Tarantino films. Um, so I just started laughing at all of the scenes he would destroy. And like, this is not a good pitch, but it's it's like um, The Room. It's like, let's make it so bad that you just have to watch it over and over again. Um, so... I started thinking about the different films. All right. So first of all, let's just start right off the bat and ruin one of the best cinematic opening scenes of all time. And that is um, from Inglourious Bastards. Adam Sandler is Christoph Waltz's character. (laughs) 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 The whole time that they have those quiet scenes, he's just making that stupid face that he makes. Where he kind of scrunches his face up. Anyway, so yeah, ruins that scene. Um, in uh, Kill Bill, I think that he should be the bride. Specifically so that I could see, so the people could see him sitting in the pussy wagon, staring at his big toe, trying to make it move. 
in the Billy Madison voice. <laughs> yes. He's like, move, son. What would you do? <laughs> Wiggle your big toe. I <laughs> yes. Stop staring at me, big toe. <laughs> so, yes, I think that that would be hilarious to see that. I think the beauty of the fight scene with Oranishi would just be completely destroyed. So it turns into something like Kung Pao. <laughs> um, so, and then, I'm, well, this, this is a different character, but um, I'm thinking of the story of or- Oranishi when they do like her childhood and it's in this comic book form. It'd be kind yeah. of funny to see him in a comic book form, um, but that's a different, different character. Anyway, so that's what I would do with Kill Bill. Um, with Pulp Fiction, I think that the easy choice would be, well, not the, e- not the easiest choice, but, but something that could potentially work would be him replacing Vincent Vega. That's John Travolta's character. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that could almost, almost work. Um, but I, and, and so I don't want to go that route. I think it would be more of a disaster if it were Marcellus Wallace. <laughs> and, and I think, it, he would just be absolutely unbelievable, and so it would be ridiculous. So I'm thinking of the fight scene with Butch, and just what like ridiculousness he would do in a fight scene, how he would over overact, and then I, I feel like he would somehow make the whole gimp scene like less horrific, like he would strip it of its reality of like or er, er, um. He'd be singing well, a song. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> wants to touch the high knee (laughs) (laughs) and um let's see what else oh jackie brown which honestly it's it's severely underappreciated as a film a tarantino Mm -hmm. film um but i think robert de niro's character would be (laughs) see like hilarious seeing sandler there because it would be like his uncut gems character but the light version yeah um so that would be kind of a fun um, replacement, fun in a like disaster. And the one thing, the one role that I think he could do and maybe pass would be Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs. That's Michael uh, Madsen's character. Yeah. I could see that working because of the dance scene where he'd be doing this dopey dance and maybe talk to the ear, but he'd be like, you know, using his Adam Sandler voice, but he would talk into the ear. And, um, on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a little fire scarecrow. <laughs> you know, I, I think you were in agreement with me that you're not a fan of Sandler, but we both as non-fans know what he sounds like. And I think because generation, a generation of men just started imitating him. And so for, at least for me, I'm like, I couldn't get away from I just kept hearing guys use that that accent, you know. It, it was a cultural touchstone for many yeah. white males in the 90s. But I do have to say, my favorite movie of all time is an Adam Sandler movie. Um, Punk Strut. Drunk it's Love. Punch Drunk Love. It's my favorite movie. Yeah. Punch Drunk Love is my favorite movie. Which I guess technically, and that's that's the thing. It was one of my favorite anecdotes. Is it's not an Adam Sandler movie. Um, it's a P.T. Anderson movie that Adam Sandler stars in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great story on the set of like. Sandler would k- keep pitching like kind of jokes and like mm-hmm. funny things. And you're like, oh, it'd be funny if I did this. And P.T. Anderson like <laughs> apparently like stopped and was like, I'm not making an Adam Sandler movie. And like, and it was that kind of like reality check that re- like that let Adam Sandler know, was like, oh, this this isn't one of my movies. This is a real movie. 
Yeah, and I think I, Andy, I think real Taylor movie. is like fantastic in that movie, and he's he's yeah, good I, when he when he when he wants to be. Yeah, if he's not in charge, because I think he's just too too self indulgent. And yeah, he really like, just dude, wants to have fun with his friends. Right. Yeah. It's like, come on, guys, let's go do this. And it's like, well, I mean, that's like a um like a a student film in college. You know, that's what you do yeah. then. You get that out of your system and you make real art, damn it. <laughs> make another um, Spanglish. Make a punch drunk love. Make a uh uncut gems. Licks. Oh, you know, I didn't I did not like uncut gems. I didn't like it either. Um, I think it's a very well made movie, but it's not an enjoyable movie. It like, isn't. Um You can't enjoy yourself watching that movie. It's just like ugh, it's it's so tense and like uncomfortable the entire time. The only person who I I heard say they they like that movie and in an excited way is my brother, but he's such a contrarian. He knows <laughs> that it made people feel something negative. Um, and that he gets, you know, his rocks off on that, I guess. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, I, I like it. And I'm like, I get it that it accomplished, like any art should make you feel something. So it did do that. It made people feel things. But I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this guy's an idiot. Like, I'm not a fan of a comedy of errors, let alone like, a tragic film of errors. Yes. Um, it just is too much tension, especially seeing people make stupid decisions. It's like, look, I don't make the best decisions, but that's stupid. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to see it all unfold is like secondhand um, overwhelm and, and secondhand um, regret, you know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, uncut gems. That was something else. Um, I, I've seen click a couple of times. And I feel like that wasn't a Sandler film. He still, you know, was peeking through, but I think he he was not not at a hundred. Yeah. Not Sandler at a hundred. Like, have you seen the Grown Ups movies? My no, my mom's always like, oh, "Have you seen Grown Ups?" I'm like, "Mom, I still haven't seen them." Th- that's very much like a parents movie. That it's mm. like perfectly like fine, like it's funny enough. Um, yeah. Like yeah, it's it's a very safe movie. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, he yeah. he 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 does some bad stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. He does some good stuff. But yes, he would ruin any Tarantino movie. Yeah, um, I, I was gonna say it would be easy to say that Sandler can replace any Sam Jackson character, but I feel like that's <laughs> too easy. Too easy. Yeah, I mean, the piano player in Kill Bill. <laughs> he could do that. He I, he could yeah. do that. Yeah couple lines he'd be fine yeah. he'd be fine all right like uh that's a pretty uh it's a pretty nightmarish what if you presented i know for us. i just want to see the world burn <laughs> <laughs> all right sandra do you have anything you'd like to plug um no nothing at all <laughs> all right well thank you Hi, for social. jumping on on this uh this late night edition yeah plug your socials if you want um i'm just at hey it's sandra d on Twitter and Instagram, although I really I mostly on Instagram. See all my stories. Yeah, watch those stories. You doing reels? <laughs> you doing any reels? Um, no. It's I do the I do the you get you see it now or you don't see it ever again. <laughs> Limited edition collectors. Yes, item supply price. and demand. Nice. You know. All right. Well, again, thank you, and uh, listeners, thank you for uh, joining us here on Burn After Pitching. We'll see you next month. Hello, Andy Nordval here of the Burn After Pitching Podcast, coming to you 
from the future. Well, October 15th, maybe the past for you, because October 15th is when my very first ever Kickstarter launches. I am one of 18 full-color comic book stories in the new anthology, Producing the End of the World. It has lots of stories trying to put new twists on the post-apocalyptic tales. Mine, for example, asks the question, what will happen to sitcoms after our civilization collapses? Uh, I hope you'll check it out. If you want to take a look, the book is easily findable on Kickstarter. Just search for Producing the End of the World. Or if that's too complicated, don't worry. It is the very first link on my website, andynordvall.com. So go there to get a direct link and check it out. I hope you will like it. And now back to the show. Hey, everybody. The show is actually over now. Go live your life.